Welcome to the world of Aeora, a news and lore podcast about the Pillars of Eternity games, as well as Obsidian Entertainment's upcoming release, Avowed. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the World of Aeora, a news and lore podcast about the Pillars of Eternity games as well as Obsidian Entertainment's upcoming release, Avowed. For those who are not sure why we pair Pillars of Eternity and Avowed together, it's because they share the same fantasy setting of Aeora. And so just like how there are some fantasy stories like Lord of the Rings that are set in Middle-earth, the Pillars of Eternity games and Avowed are set place in this world called Aeora. As the theory goes, if we dive into the game mechanics, history, and lore for Pillars of Eternity 1 and 2, we can glean insights into Avowed as it undergoes development. As well, for those of us who are just huge Pillars of Eternity nerds, we can geek out about this world and lore that we love and uh, about a game that we really enjoy diving into. Today's episode is going to dive into the second in a series that I'm calling the Character Creation Series. What it essentially is, is it's an effort to look at the lore of something that will both be impactful to people who enjoy Pillars of Eternity 1 and 2, as well as those who are exclusively just looking forward to playing Avowed, because we're very likely going to have some sort of character creation tool in Avowed. It would be incredibly surprising if we didn't have one. And so if we understand what our options are from Pillars of Eternity's lore, then we might be able to think about what kind of character do we want to build in Avowed? What would be interesting to play as from a roleplay perspective or from a lore perspective or just what seems the most interesting to us in general? A lot of us have certain characters we like to play in games like these, depending on how Avowed ends up being if they reveal it to us. And this way we can kind of know ahead of time what kind of character we might want to build. Because I don't know about you, but I could, I could lose two hours in character creation if I want to, or I might just skip past it and get right to the gameplay. So hopefully this is helpful to you in the long run. Today, we're going to be looking at another race in the world of Aeora. I'm just trying to go through it in a sequential order, like the character creation tool from Pillars of Eternity 1 and 2. Last episode, we talked about the godlike race, one of the most interesting races, in my opinion, for the world of Aeora. And today, we're going to be focusing on one of the more traditional fantasy races, and that is the elf race. So elves are something that we're very familiar with from other fantasy games or stories or movies. Um, and they aren't a lot different in Aeora, but they are definitely unique. You know, Obsidian has taken the time to craft a unique race with a unique rich history and lore to them, but they're not so far off from what we understand elves to be from other fantasy settings that it's alien to us. And I think that that's probably a purposeful choice on Obsidian's part to give uh, gamers something that's familiar so that they... If they're overwhelmed with all these new options, they can pick something that's a little more familiar and get into the world a little bit better. I don't know. I, that was for me. I, I picked an elf character for my first Pillars of Eternity playthrough because I was like, I don't know what these other ones are about, and I don't want to make what I thought was the wrong choice when I was making a character for Pillars of Eternity. And spoiler alert, not really a spoiler, I'm just saying that. Um, you can't really make a bad character, especially if you're playing on easy or normal mode. You can pretty much get away with whatever character you build. But I'm getting lost now. Um, let's dive into today's lore for the Elves of Aeora. I'm curious, what exactly did you find there? So, when we're talking about the Elves of Aeora, what are we talking about specifically? Well, Elves are one of six civilized races in the world of Aeora, at least at the time of Pillars of Eternity, the video game. 
those are referred to as the kith races and these are essentially just the races that are the dominant ones on the planet of aeora they are the ones who are out there exploring the world and developing technologies and progressing in their culture they're not the only sentient race in the world there are other races of creatures in aeora that are also sentient and conscious there is this humanoid mind reading spider kind of creature called a vithrak they're super cool, um, but they're not considered one of the kith races. They're not exploring the world, developing technology, kind of like you would see for one of the quote-unquote civilized races, I believe is how the lore describes it. So elves are one of the six civilized kith races, the other ones being humans, dwarves, orlans, amauans, and godlike. And if you're interested in learning about any of those other ones, I have other episodes about them, uh, as well as one episode that just overviews the races entirely. So you can check those out, or you can dive into the lore for the game online, or in the game itself even, if you're interested in it. But elves are one of those six races, so they're kind of at the forefront of Aeora's dominant cultures and societies in the world. They're probably the most ethnically diverse. Um, in the game, you can only pick between two sub-races, but the two sub-races are incredibly different from each other. You interact with elven characters quite a lot in Pillars of Eternity 1 and 2, especially Pillars of Eternity 1, because elves are very common in that area of the world. To give some context, Pillars of Eternity, the video game, is set in a part of the world known as the Deerwood. Uh, the Deerwood shares a border with another nation called Erglanfoth. Now, Erglanfoth are a tribe, uh, are, well, a sets of tribes of natives that have lived in that area for as long as people have known. And one of the native races of the area, along with Orleans, are wood elves. And so we see a heavy presence of wood elves from them being nearby. As well, the people who are settling in the Deerwood area that I talked about are colonists from a different empire across the ocean, that empire being known as the Adir Empire. The Adir Empire are mainly comprised of meadow folk, which is a type of human, and more wood elves. So while the wood elves of Adir, uh, these colonists that have come to the Deerwood, and the wood elves of Erglanfoth uh, share similar physiological traits, their society, their culture, and even their languages are vastly different from each other. But they are of similar race, which would, which would be interesting. You know, it'd be like if uh, early explorers came from Europe, you know, we'll, we'll say some Scandinavian explorers went across the ocean and then they got to North America, and they, they traveled across down towards, we'll say, like, southwestern America, and then ran into random other Scandinavians who had just been there forever, which I don't think would work in our own Earth's history, but it, it would be weird. It would be weird to see, right? It would be a weird thing to have happen. Um, so it, the history of the races in the are, are a little bit convoluted sometimes, and there's a lot of mystery for some of them, especially Pale Elves, which we'll get into, on to how they ended up settling where they settled in the world. But I don't want to get ahead of myself, so we're going to dive right into the lore for these guys. If I go to the Pillars of Eternity Collector's Book, which is a book that you got if you were one of the Kickstarter backers for Pillars of Eternity back when it was called Project Eternity, or if you purchased the Pillars of Eternity, I want to say Definitive Edition on PC, you can look in the game files and find it there, you can read the lore for elves about who the elves are and where they go and where they come from and stuff like that. So I'm going to read straight from this book, and we're going to dive right into the lore for elves. And this is what this book has to say. Elves are the second most common race in Deerwood. Deerwood, again, is the setting for Pillars of Eternity 1, and heavily populate both the Adir-founded colonies and the deep reaches of Air Glanfoth, which is something we just covered. Elf-dominated cultures are among the least expansive and colonial. 
the Adirans being a notable exception. So unlike the dwarves, which are the most nomadic culture in the world of Aora, the elves are the opposite side. They tend to just stick where they are. In fact, the elves from the Adiran Empire, they originally came from an, a region known as the Seathwood, which in their native language means homewood. Right, so you can tell just by even what they name their own country that they tend to like say, like this is our home. These woods are our home. They settle in one area and they tend to stay there. That's more of the elven natural mindset. Physically, elves are known for their speed. They tend to be about 10% shorter than humans and are slighter of build. And so that's the physical description for elves. Um, there's not much to say. I'm looking at a portrait of one right now. It's got long brown hair and... Uh, really vibrant green eyes and the pointed ears that we're used to right so i think other than being a little bit shorter than humans i think typically in fantasy settings elves are usually a little bit taller than humans uh, other than that they're physically pretty much the same they're you know a little more slender um, they're known for being quick and graceful and in this case for the world of yora they're just a little bit shorter than the average human as i mentioned there are two types of sub races so there are two types of elves that you can play in the pillars of eternity games um, there's no definitive uh, lore post or anything about whether or not there are other types of elves or that there is a spectrum of elves. I know that there is a uh, third uh, sub-race of elves that have been hinted to exist through conversations you have in Pillars of Eternity 2, but in the Pillars of Eternity games, when you're selecting your character, you're allowed to choose a sub-race of elf. So if you choose the elf race, then you got to pick, well, what kind of elf are you going to be? And as I've mentioned, the two types of elves that you can choose from are the wood elves or the pale elves. And I want to start off with talking about what the wood elves are. Now, I've already mentioned that you find the wood elves in uh, the Adir Empire and the Deerwood area. Deerwood being the setting for Pillars of Eternity 1, Adir Empire being kind of the nation that the colonial folks of the Deerwood are from. As well, we see wood elves in Air Glonfoth, a tribe neighboring the Deerwood, and they're native to that new land, that new continent. Uh, if you're getting lost in all these names, a Deer Empire and Deerwood and Air Glonfoth, think of it like this. Um, uh, in Earth's history, there were European explorers who went across the Atlantic to what is now North America, and they settled in that new land, that new continent. Think of a Deer as Europe, and this new continent and new land as the eastern reach and an area of the eastern reach is called deerwood that eastern reach is kind of the name that they give to this new continent this new land they found and, and where they settled at least one of the colonies that they settled in is the deerwood colony and the nation of erglonfoth is just a region of this new continent that people who already live there call it hopefully that just clears up if you're not familiar with these terms already so wood elves, otherwise known as Skelterfolk, um, or Seathwood elves, depending on where you're from, Skelterfolk literally means sheltered people. Um, so that might refer to the fact that they live in the woods, and so they're constantly sheltered, you know, by the crowns of trees, or the fact that they tend to live in little isolated communities, and they tend to live in their own little spot and not go to other places, so perhaps they're sheltered from the rest of the world. It depends on how you wanna to want to approach it. Uh, Skelterfolk, uh, just as a side note, is the hillspeak term for wood elves. Hillspeak is kind of like a really old Adiran. Adiran being, you know, the Adir Empire. Hillspeak is kind of like an older dialect or variant of that language. And Seathwood is an actual contemporary 
word by Inadirin that means homewood, as I've already said. So going back to the Pills of Eternity collector's book, we have our little entry on wood elves. Wood elves originated approximately 3,500 miles north of present-day Adir, south of where the Thirtin are believed to have lived long ago. 3,500 miles north of present-day Adir, Adir being the main nation that these uh, deer wooden colonists are from, there's obviously a main place where the Adir uh, Empire is at, whether it's the capital city or their origin, and these wood elves originated 3,500 miles north of that. So those elves ended up mingling with uh, Meadowfolk, which is another name for Thirton, which you heard me say. So those two races kind of formed one society together, and that is the Adirian society. They have progressively migrated south through the forests at a similar pace to the Thirton, and now cover most of the continent, all the way south across the equator. Interesting thing to note about the Adirian continent is that it is lying on the equator. Now, we don't know how far north and south it goes. Apparently, at least 3,500 miles, considering they had to be that far north of where the Thirton were. Uh, but it's a pretty massive continent, and it does go across the equator. It gives you a little idea of what their climate and geography could be like if it's similar to our Earth's equator. Additionally, a large number of Skelter Folk Elves are believed to have migrated across the sea to Air Glanfoth in some prehistoric era. And that's a theory for how those wood elves got over to Air Glanfoth and became part of the native tribes there. Glanfothen elves, which is a short version of the, the elves from Air Glanfoth, Glanfothen elves are physiologically identical to those from a deer, but share no culture in common. Their natural lifespan is typically 200 to 310 years. So, you know, just like most elves from other fantasy settings, they live way longer than humans do. Actually, I think that 200, 310 years is kind of short-lived for elves of other fantasy settings. I think in D&D, &D, they live to be, what, 900? I can't remember. So it's like, you know, two to three centuries. So way more than the average human. Skelter folk from a deer share more in common with a nearby human ethnic group, which, again, is the Thirton, than any other. This is not true of the Skelter folk from Air Glanfath. They do not share as many similarities with their Orlin native brothers uh, as the... Skelter folk from ear from a deer do with their meadow folk human race. Here are some features of a wood elf, a skelter folk person. Uh, they have thin and pointed noses, uh, narrow rectangular or oval faces, uh, round almond or prominent eyes, uh, deep set eyes with strong brows, high cheekbones, pointed ears, uh, and high overly arched eyebrows. So typical elf stuff that you would expect to see in a fantasy setting. Um, as well, their skin is fair to light tan. Their hair can be blonde, red, brown, or black. The hair texture is straight or wavy, and they have no facial hair. So they just have long, wavy, or straight, elegant hair, uh, but no facial hair, no super cool beards. I mean, they, they're already cool enough to begin with. You can't give them beards. That's not fair. That's the dwarves thing. Come on. Their eye color is usually blue, green, gold, hazel, or gray. I don't know if any of this stuff matters to you or not, but if you're going to be uh, developing a character who knows how deep the customization can get or whether or not you're playing a tabletop role-playing game in Aora, uh, you, you know kind of what to expect. Now that is the wood elves of Aora and honestly it's not a ton to go on but uh, I think it's a good enough foundation that you can really develop a well-rounded character uh, that is a skelter folk character for a tabletop role-playing game or for a vow depending again on how important role-play is to the game. Uh, I personally, my first character was a wood elf, and I really liked it. I wish I had utilized the character a lot better. I don't think I understood 
a lot about the game when I first jumped into it, just like anybody. And uh, so I think I missed out on some of that. But I definitely enjoyed the lore that came with playing as a wood elf. Now that said, uh, diving into pale elves as the uh, the other side of the elf spectrum of like what kind of elf are you? I find pale elves, specifically that subrace, to be the most interesting race in all of the selections you have for the kith races. Pale elves, known as Glomfelin in their uh, original language, uh, translates to twilight dwellers. Now the pale elves, the Glomfelin, they live in a location on the planet known as the white that wins, which is essentially the Aeoran analog to our Earth's Antarctica, except maybe a little bit more livable. Essentially, these pale elves live in the ice fields of the white that wins. Maybe it's just like a really harsh northern Canada. <laughs> so, you know, that's I'm me from Canada. Maybe that's why I like pale elves so much. But the pale elves I find super interesting, one, because of their history and how they ended up where they are, and the enigmatic nature of their culture and their language and also their their souls don't behave the way the other souls of the world do and i'll explain what i mean by that in a bit pale elves this is going right back to the collector's book it is unclear exactly how long ago the glomfelin came to the southern polar regions of the world but they have lived there for at least 12,000 years based on their continuous contact with Amawa traders, Amawa being one of the other races of the world. They appear to be among the most stationary ethnic groups in the known world, migrating within the polar regions but seldom venturing far north. They are rare in all northern lands, and most people consider them exotic, if any have seen one at all. So this is just speaking more to that kind of isolationist and non-nomadic nature that elves tend to have, and this is especially true of the pale elves. No one really understands how the pale elves got there, right? The, the pale elves of the white that wins this solar polar region of the solar, the southern polar region of the world of Eora, they, this is this harsh wasteland essentially that they're living in and no one really understands how it is that they got there. It's theorized that they've been there for 12,000 years or so, um, but there's not a lot of understanding as to A, how did they get there? B, where did they originate from? Uh, and C, what was the entire purpose of all that? Uh, re returning back to the book, some linguistic similarities between the Glomfelin, Adiran, and Hillspeak languages suggest that the Glomfelin elves lived in the Northern Hemisphere once, long ago, and probably broke off from the Skelterfolk tribes. Actually, if you dive into lore into other locations, you'll discover that their local language, Ordhjoma, I believe, it's O-R-D-H-J-O, with a little accent on it, M-A, Ordhjoma, is incomprehensible to those who have studied it, first off, but it is also not similar to any local nearby cultures. So, like, for example, there is a culture and race of dwarves that are not too far north, but still pretty far north, to the Glomfelin tribes that are in the White That Wins. And this nearby culture, the language between these two different cultures, even though they're the closest to each other, there is nothing similar about their languages. There's nothing similar about their culture. And if you look through you know, anthropological means at different cultures, usually there's some similarities to cultures that are nearby or that share a similar history because you know they come from the same place. They might have uh, similar ancestry or something like that. There's usually something similar to cultures that are nearby each other and have longstanding history in an area. But these pale elves, 
have nothing similar linguistically to their neighboring countries and societies. But, surprisingly, compared to the Wood Elves, which are basically on the opposite side of the known world, these Glomfellan, their linguistic similarities with Old Adirin, called Eldadirin, or even Hillspeak, the linguistic similarities have like very, very small similarities. So there's something about Adirin Skelter folk that have the same ancestry as the Glomfellan, but it's well over 12,000 years ago in history that this kind of stuff occurred. So they're very enigmatic of like, well, if they were in the Northern Hemisphere, what caused them to migrate so far south to a region of the world that is essentially hostile to you? And where did they get this crazy language from? Right, because if they were originally Skelter folk, let's say, tens of thousands of years ago, is that just what language was like for elves in that region all the time? Was it this incomprehensible Ordhyoma language? Or were they a unique set of elves and that's why they broke off? Like, were they just a cult of elves that developed their own language and were like, you know what, this isn't good enough for us, we're going to leave. We're going to go to the most hardcore metal place we can find, which is, you know, this Antarctica, I guess. Some features of pale elves. Mid-width to narrow noses, heart-shaped or round faces, almond-thin hooded eyes with epicanthic folds and large irises, mid-set eyes, wider spacing, weaker brows, pointed ears, and arched eyebrows. So some phys- many physiological differences compared to their wood elven cousins far to the north, uh, but still distinctly elven. Their skin is extremely pale uh, and even translucent, ranging from snow white to fair, and their skin often lacks any warmth other than their faintly visible circulatory system. When we call them pale elves, they're they're called pale elves for a reason. If you look at a pale elf portrait, when you play Pillars of Eternity, you have a portrait for your character. All the options for pale elf stuff, they got this like whitish or grayish skin. Like it's it's almost like that of something that's not even alive anymore, right? Honestly. Uh, but you know, um, since they are alive, there is like a I guess a liveliness and a beauty to it that exists. It's not like looking at, uh, I say, corpse's skin, but it's it's very, very pale skin, right? It's like they, they earn the name for sure. Uh, the hair of a pale elf is white, blonde, strawberry blonde, and straight and thin. Uh, males can have facial hair. So of all the elves, there are, the men in the pale elf communities can have facial hair. I don't know if they can have like robust beards necessarily. I can't remember if any characters that you run into that are pale elves have that or not. Um, but I imagine living in the white that wins, uh, the, the men that were able to grow beards were able to probably survive a little better or at least enjoy life in the white that wins more. I know I, I work outside and when the wintertime comes, as it is right now, I grow as thick a beard as I possibly can because the wind where I live sucks, and it's just nice to have something to cover my chin and neck. Um, lastly, the eyes of a pale elf, green, blue, gray, gold, red, violet, and pink. Really varietized eye colors for the pale elves. Now, my interest in the pale elves does not stop there. As well, their culture I find incredibly fascinating. And you learn a lot about the culture by talking to three main characters in the Pillars of Eternity 2 game, um, Reen Haider, uh, Yidwin, and Vatnir. So you can talk to these three people and actually learn quite a lot about the Pale Elf culture and what it was like in The White That Wins. If you go to the pillarsofeternity.fandom.com Pale Elf Wikipedia article, you can actually read about it there. And that's where I'll read primarily from it from because it's uh, summarized quite well there. 
So although their structure evolved over the centuries, the Glomfellin are predominantly clan-based, with each acting both as a family and a nation. The clans raise children communally, passing on expertise from the old to the young to equip them with the skills necessary for weathering the white that wins. Children are children of the clans first and foremost. As a result, paternity can be difficult to determine among the Pale Elves due to their communal style of living. So this gives you a little picture of what their societies are like in the White That Wins. They tend to just form tribes um, made up of families of people, essentially. And these essentially create the nations of different Glomfellin, uh, the nations of different tribes that exist in the White That Wins. So their, their borders and their boundaries and their country sizes might not be very big. Like, it might just be, like, regular regions that you would see in other areas of the world. Uh, but, you know, in the white that wins, you can only go so far before it becomes dangerous. And you probably want to stick to one place and master that region so that you understand how to survive there. So that would make sense. And then you would form clans based on your ideals or your parentage, or I guess not parentage, but, you know, lineage of some sort. And you would work together as a community to survive and thrive and create your unique identity of people. What I find super interesting is this idea that like they live communally in such a sense that when there are children that are born, it's hard to determine like who the father specifically obviously would be in the community because they live communally. So I suppose that means that people are just like, there's no like, you know, this is where the Smiths live. And over here is, is where um, the Johnsons live. And over here is where the Van Burens live or whatever. Uh, you know, there's... There's no, like, tent of this family and tent for that family. We just tend to live communally. So, like, all these people are, you know, sleeping in, I guess, sleeping huts or what have you. Or uh, So it seems like people can be romantic companions with many other people, and hence the reason that it's hard to determine, hey, who's the father of this child? So paternity can be difficult to determine among the Pale Elves due to their communal style of living is what it says here. But it also that it's considered a least concern. They don't really seem to care. So essentially, when a pale elf child is born into the community, you know, it's not just the mother has to raise this baby on their own or she has to determine who the father is and now they have to raise the baby together. It's sort of like, a, oh, hey, a child has been born into this community. It is the community's job to take care of these kids and uh, help them grow up into successful civilians so that we can continue to thrive in this hostile wasteland. It's an interesting way to live. I wonder actually how many cultures in uh, Earth's world do this. There must be some that live uh, similar to this way. This style of living, I'm going back to the article in the Wikipedia, has eroded over the last 400 years as settlements founded on the coast started to trade with the outside world. So essentially, as other nations and empires in the world began exploring the world, they started to reach the coast of the white that wins this Antarctic-style geography. Uh, these explorers are kind of on the borders of some of these pale elf communities and tribes and clans, and outside ways of thinking is starting to creep into the pale elf communities and it's changing the way that their communities live you know pale elves are starting to want to go off on their own individually and explore the world they're starting to think differently because of outside influences right which isn't necessarily a bad thing but or necessarily a good thing it's just a thing that happens but as a result the style of living is becoming eroded this communal way of living is being eroded because if if one person leaves this clan that's a big hit to a clan right when you consider that the entire nation of this particular clan of pale elves is only comprised of, you know, let's say, you know, what, let's give, let's be generous and say a hundred people or so. If you know, one person goes, who knows the level of influence that that person had on the entire community? That might only be 1% of the community, but that's a big deal. You know, if you have a, 
100,000 people in a city and then 1% of that community, that city just decides we're going to we're going to leave out of nowhere, that'd be a thousand people that just go away. Like that would make news depending on the city of where you are. So outside influences are starting to have an impact on the way that the Glam, Felon, the Pale Elf communities live. Wealth has also eroded the unique Glam, Felon way of life, although inland clans further south have managed to maintain their distinct culture. And that just makes sense. The The Pale Elves that are furthest away from the coastlines of the White That Wins they're harder to get to. It's harder for outside influences to reach them and change their way of thinking or introduce new ideas to them. So they have pretty much solidified their culture and they're very likely going to stay that way for a very long time. I'm sure just like um, there are tribes and nations in our Earth's world right now who are not exposed to a lot of outside thinking. And so they've kind of solidified their culture and it has been that way for many, 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 many years. Beyond the environment, Glomfelon culture is heavily rooted in the worship of Remergond. Now, Remergond is one of the 11 deities in the world of Eora. Uh, to give a quick overview, in fantasy settings, typical fantasy settings with magic and elves and monsters and dragons and blah, 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 there are usually a pantheon of gods that exist, and the world of Eora is no different. In Eora, there are 11 gods that exist in the world, and they all represent different things. For example, Bereth is the goddess of death. Um, Aethys is the god of light and redemption. Uh, Abidin is the god of the forge, you know, etc., etc. Now, Remergond is the god of entropy, uh, is one of the things that he is the god of. And the Glomfelon, these pale elves that exist in the white that wins, they almost all of them exclusively worship Remergond. Remergond is the main deity of all of these clans, of all of these cultures. So Glomfelon culture is heavily rooted in the worship of Remergond, the god of entropy and a belief in the incoming end of the world. Remergond, one of his big things are, is essentially that everything is going to eventually erode and decay and fall apart to the point that the universe itself will just slowly fizzle and die, which is kind of like the heat death of the universe that we know about um, from just modern science, or at least um, ideas of that from modern science. Um, so people who follow Remergond believe in the inevitable end of the world, and they often view this as a positive thing. They look at this in a good way, and they actually want to make it happen quicker in some cases. Uh, traditions are typically transmitted orally, as few pale elves are literate, and what written word exists is jealously guarded by the elders. This body of sacred scripture is called um, <laughs> Yomidra, I think it is. Yomidra? Yomidra. This uh, body of sacred scripture is called J-O-M-M-Y-D-R-A. Yomidra is what I'm going to pronounce it as. And according to some, it is a deliberate means of control over the tribes. Now, that is the opinion of uh, Yidwin, I believe. Regardless of the reason, the priests lead the Pale Elves in navigating the land, which is the white that wins, divining Remergon's will in the entrails of those slain in the defenses of holy sites and leading the nomadic clans across the snow. Other methods of venerating Ludeth God include the usual prayer, song, dance, and sacrifice. Now, I know that I said Bereth is the goddess of death, and they just refer to Remergond as the death god. Um, the thing is, is that like while Bereth is the goddess of death, um, death is not just a simple one-page concept to a lot of people. There are different ways of approaching death. Um, Bereth is the goddess of death in the sense that she perpetuates the cycle of reincarnation that exists in the world. Uh, Aethys is a god of death in the sense that he causes life to end at some point. 
And Reamer God is a god of death in the sense that he believes and perpetuates and encourages the unraveling, decaying, and destruction of all things in a finality. You know, like things die and they die for good forever kind of thing, right? So that's a different way of looking at death. And so Remergon can be referred to as a death god. Now, this, for me, is where things get very interesting when you start to involve Remergon in the world. As a quick side note, the world of Aura operates on this metaphysical phenomenon known as the Wheel, you know, capital W, Wheel. Uh, that's the name given to the cycle of reincarnation that happens in the world of Aura. So what typically happens is you, a kith creature, will die. Your body will die, and then your soul will uncouple from your body. It will go into the capital B beyond where the gods are, and it will remain there for some time before it returns back to the mundane world, of the physical world of Aora, and enter into a new body. And that's the cycle of rebirth that happens. You're alive, you have a soul, your body dies, your soul goes back to the beyond, and eventually it comes back and enters into a new body. Cycle of reincarnation. Thing is, is it's pretty random quite a lot of times. The gods could choose to put a specific soul into a specific body and then even awaken that soul to be aware of previous lives, etc., etc. But it's typically random. You know, you might be a, a woman Orlin living in the living lands to the far northwest of the known world, and then you'll die, and the soul might awaken 10 years or 100 years later in a, a Mauan man's body on the opposite side of the known world in the Deadfire Archipelago, right? Like, it's just random how a lot of this stuff can work. But for some reason or another, uh, Remergond has preserved the souls of the Glomfellan. Um, and there's not really a lot of understanding as to why. Essentially, what will happen is a pale elf will die, and their soul will go to the beyond. And then eventually, that soul will return back to Eora, but it will go into another pale elf body. And it's interesting for a few reasons. One, why is Remergond doing this? Like, why is he preserving the souls of the Pale Elves. Now, I've tried to pay attention to the lore as much as I can and do research, but you know, I might have missed it if they explained it as to why, but I can't seem to find an answer of why is Remergond preserving the souls of the Pale Elves. If anyone out there has a little more information, reach out to me and let me know. But for one reason or another, Remergond's doing this. Now, the interesting thing about this is that what happens is it protects the souls from entropy. This process of reincarnation, the wheel as we've called it, it's actually slowly wears down and fractures souls. So as a soul undergoes this process, um, pieces of the soul get broken off and it slowly undergoes entropy. After a long enough period of time, uh, a soul could fracture and fragment to the point where it's no longer a whole soul anymore and it can't enter into a body, right? So very slowly over the course of a long time, these souls will entropy and no longer exist. But Remergond doing this cycle the way he does, he protects them against this entropy uh, against the souls. May, not completely. I'm sure their souls are still wearing down a little bit, but it really, really lowers the amount of entropy that occurs to these souls. And Remergond being the god of entropy, that makes this a little bit weird, right? Like, why is the god of entropy protecting what he's calling his people from entropy, you know? Every pale elf was reborn intact as a pale elf in an unbroken continuity of souls stretching back thousands of years. The Glomfellan were unaware of this until a watcher visited one of the clans and revealed this to them upon examining their souls. A watcher in the world of Aora is someone who has the innate ability to 
observe and interact with soul energy and therefore he can see the souls of other creatures he can uh, measure them in a sense he can kind of like I want to say get a flavor for the souls and understand a lot. So a watcher was visiting a clan and revealed to them that, hey, just so you know, like your guys' souls are constantly being perpetuated into your uh, pale elf bodies, uh, thereby protecting you from soul entropy, blah, 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 blah. I'm not sure how you would have put it. Um, now, the thing is, uh, and we can read this in the Wikipedia article, is the strain of this revelation prompted many elves to awaken, which is uh, a term that means that they became aware and cognizant of their previous lives, and those personalities started coming to the forefront of their minds. That can lead to madness in a lot of cases because you kind of like confuse who you are, but eventually leading to a pilgrimage to Twin Elms, a location in the Deerwood, far, far, far to the north in the lush wooden forests of uh, Ergonfoth. And the reason they did this is because there is a, um, it's kind of like a portal that exists in the Twin Elms area known as the Frosthewn Breach, Essentially, it's a portal to the realm known as the White Void, which is what Remergon's domain is called and the location that he lives. Now, I, I say that he lives, you know, it's kind of weird to talk about where do gods live, you know. Um, they all kind of have their own planes of existence where they reside, where their spirit or whatever form they take lives in, and the proximity to them creates these planes of existence. And so... A lot of these pale elves, upon discovering that their bodies, their souls, sorry, were being perpetually recycled into pale elf bodies and preserving them from entropy, was actually quite upsetting to them. Because here's the thing. Pale elves, following the teachings of Remergon, actually promote and encourage the cycle of entropy and death because they are looking forward to the end of the world. They think that that is a natural part of life and they think it's a good thing when they find out that their god is perpetuating the opposite, it's quite upsetting, right? That's It goes against everything that they understood or believed, and it, you know, it led to a lot of them leaving the white that wins, traveling across the world to go to this famous uh, breach in, in existence, the Frosthewn Breach, so that they could enter Remergon's domain, the White Void, and die permanently with no chances of reincarnation. Uh, because, again, the, they think that the cycle of reincarnation actually goes against nature. They think that that is kind of an abomination. And you got to think about that. Like, that's got to be a huge, a huge revelation. You know, this this watcher comes in and just reveals this truth bomb to these people. Like, oh, yeah, you know, your God's doing this thing behind your back. Which, you know, that would be upsetting enough as it is to find out something that you worship as a God uh, is is lying to you. But then to find out that it's actually actively doing something against the teachings that it gives you, you know, like to go against the thing that you believe is good and valuable in the world and that essentially you can't get out of because no matter what, your soul is going to be born into another pale elf community where you're probably going to be raised to believe certain things like, hey, inevitable entropy and the death of all things permanently is a good thing. So you're going to constantly be reborn into this way of thinking and you're very likely going to believe those things because you're in these communities and then... Maybe you'll find out in that lifetime that this god has been lying and tricking you this entire time for unknown reasons, and that's going to be very upsetting, and then you're going to die and then be reborn into another pale of body where you're going to believe the exact same thing and maybe come to realize again in this new life the truth of the matter, and that's going to be upsetting, and then you'll die, and then you'll just live it over and over and over again. Like, oh, man, if you were a person who got awakened to that truth every lifetime, that would be... I don't know what that would be like. I have no way 
obviously, of understanding that. But upsetting is a word that I would definitely use for that. So there we have it. That is why I find the Pale Elves super interesting is because, A, their community and their culture is just fascinating, like uh, what that kind of culture would be like, as well, the mystery as to why Remergond is doing what he's doing. And the god Remergond is already interesting enough to begin with, so anything that he does, I, I'm already kind of paying attention to. A lot of the stuff you can learn about in the Beast of Winter DLC, so if you have Pillars of Eternity 2, you can get the Beast of Winter DLC and learn a lot of this lore through playing through that. And that is it. That is it for the Elves of Aeora. Uh, we've covered who and what elves are in this world and the wood elves, what they're like and their origins, as well as the pale elves and what they're like in their origins. Um, I didn't dive into the language of the Glomfellan, which is Ordhyoma, uh, because there's not really a lot that we know about it. And also I can't really... I can't really pronounce half of the words here. You can actually click on uh, one of the Wikipedia articles that take you to a glossary of terms. Uh, for example, there's one here that says Dachlat, uh, which is an expression of gratitude. And there's a Echevit, which is a, a herbal apparitif. I don't know what that means. Um, there's just Ja, J-A, which is an affirmative, or Ne, which is a word for no. Uh, but there's other words here that I don't know how to pronounce. <laughs> V-Y-T-M-A-D-H, which uh, if I didn't know how it sounded from hearing that word in game, I would probably pronounce it Vitmad, which isn't far off. It's actually Vidmouth. It sounds like white mouth, uh, and it means white maw, essentially. Uh, a lot of these linguistic things you can learn from playing Pillars of Eternity 2, especially the Beast of Winter DLC. Uh, but yeah, that's everything on the elves that we got thank you everybody for joining me on today's episode of the world of eora where we dive into the second episode of our character creation series learning about the different races and cultures and class selections and backgrounds etc etc that might be in the character creation tool for avowed that we see from pillars of eternity hopefully as we go through these series of episodes you'll learn more about the different options and variety in the backgrounds for character creation and you'll know what kind of character you want to make because, you know, if you're wanting to make a tanky build, you might want to pick a certain race or a certain class. Now, with that said, um, what are elves good for in the world of Avowed? You know, what, what are elves good for in terms of character creation? What might you want to use them for? And it is actually going to be probably fairly relevant. The trailer for Avowed has indicated a heavy presence of a Deeran culture. Right. So, uh, for example, there's a symbol of Wodaka on a banner. If you've watched, if you haven't seen, by the way, the trailer for Avowed, uh, you can find it on avowed.obsidian.net. It's going to be an upcoming game by Obsidian. I'm sure you know about that because you're already listening to this podcast, but maybe you're just into Pillars of Eternity and not into Avowed. Who knows? Um, there is a heavy, heavy presence of a Deering culture throughout the entire video game trailer, the reveal trailer for this game. Um, and since the a Deering culture is one half comprised of skelter folk wood elves so it's very likely that we're going to run into a lot of wood elf characters as well now that said you now know if you run into a pale elf character in the game that that is supposed to be a rare occurrence and it just might be the case that a pale elf character has a rich backstory and possibly a lot of side quests so if you see a pale elf character in avowed um, I'm not going to make any claims as to whether or not Obsidian are, is going to do this, but I would walk up and talk to them because there might be a decent chance that they have a story to tell or a quest off. 
Um, now, in-game's uses for Elven characters, they are often used for high dexterity and ranged character builds, at least in Pillars of Eternity 1 and 2. Uh, this is due to the inherent quickness of Elves, you know, because they're quick and graceful, uh, as well as their in-game bonus to ranged combat, at least from Pillars of Eternity 1 and 2. So as a result, um, if you're looking for characters that need to be fast or use ranged abilities, an Elf is a character worth considering, right? So if you're wanting to play a Cypher character, which is kind of like a psionic class, when they make regular melee attacks, they generate psionic power that they can use to cast spells. So the, the faster and more attacks that you can do, the better. And since elves are quick, they'll be able to generate that power more and more. As well as ranged characters like rangers, because ranged and rangers, you know, that just makes sense. Um, or if you're playing a rogue that's going to be ranged, for example... Uh, anytime you want to do any of that kind of stuff. So elves are good for that type of class character. Um, and, th and that's it. That's it for today. Uh, thank you guys again for jumping in. This is the actual final part of the episode. Thank you for joining me. If you want to get a hold of me to maybe clarify something in the lore, maybe some of you uh, big pillars of eternity nerds out there who know more than me, because there are people that know way more than me. Um, if there's anything you wanted to add, let me know. Oh, yeah, one thing I actually forgot was that there is a slight mention of a third type of elf known as the Highland Elves that apparently exist in this other nation, which um, we haven't explored yet in the Pillars of Eternity game. Theoretically, we would be able to go there in Pillars of Eternity 3, but um, there is no Pillars of Eternity 3, and there might not ever be one, but there's apparently another type of elf called the Highland Elf, and we don't know anything about them, at least nothing substantial. So that's something. I almost forgot about that. Someone pointed that out to me on Reddit, actually, when I posted a thing on Elves there. Um, but if you want to get a hold of me to add things like that or ask me a question or clarify something, you can reach me through email, worldofaora at gmail.com, or you can reach me on Twitter, at worldofaora. I'm also on Reddit quite a lot. Uh, you can find me there, uh, Gingerino, that's G-I-N-G-E-R-E-N-O. And uh, credit goes to C. Mushi on reddit for pointing out the thing about the highland elves by the way thank you for that simushi i hope i'm saying your reddit name right um and yeah that's pretty much it and just before i end today's episode i'd like to stop and give some shout outs to some people who wrote me emails over the last couple months uh the first email comes from someone called ace horizon uh, he says thanks man i love your podcast i've been listening since the first chapter i saw your post for the first time on reddit i've got to say that i love the world of aora but i've never been able to finish the first game or play the second game due to gameplay it's not my liking but after hearing the podcast and i have a desire to play the game and we'll see if that desire lasts hey thanks man i, I really appreciate that email i love hearing things like that because um i too was like i'm not into pillars of eternity when i first checked it out i'm like this is not my style of thing it, and honestly it was a promise i made to a friend that made me stick to the game and i ended up falling in love with it obviously i'm doing a podcast about it now so i'm really glad that i could do that with other people um for those of you out there who aren't into pillars of eternity if you're not into that style of game that's cool i mean there's only so many hours you get in this planet don't waste it playing games that you don't enjoy right uh, Ace goes on to say uh, he's wanted to ask questions since we started talking about gods and souls because uh, he knows that the souls kind of die after too much use and that they can be implanted to things or corpses to make them undead. Uh, he and I get into a discussion about whether or not there is a necromancy in the history of Aeora. And I've actually I've, I've seen this question a lot on Reddit and forums and through emails about this idea of like, is there necromancy in Aeora? And I, I've answered it this way. And I'm not 100% sure if this is the best way to answer it but this is my answer regardless um necromancy 
as properly understood in other fantasy games and story. It's not really present in Aora in that sense. There is a kind of necromancy that can exist in Aora. So through the science of animancy, you could implant a soul into a corpse, and then that corpse will, in a sense, come to life. It will animate and move around and do stuff. So in that sense, there is animancy. You can play as a chanter in the game, and you can say things out there that will cause the energy of souls in the ambient area to stir, and it will raise skeletons out of the ground. So there is a kind of like a necromantic adjacent magic that you can use through playing the chanter class. So if you're interested in playing a necromancer type character in the world of Aora, you should pick a chanter class because they can actually summon things. Now, I said that necromancy doesn't exist, but that you can all of a sudden summon skeletons. That sounds like necromancy, and it kind of is. Uh, it, it depends. There's kind of a technical definition of what necromancy is when you play classical fantasy games or read classical fantasy stories. And I, I personally, I just don't think it fits the normal definition of what necromancy is, according to the lore and background and history and magic of those games and stories. Uh, but from a functional standpoint, yeah, you can kind of play a necromancer in Pillars of Eternity. I just don't think that you would call it that. They call it a chanter, actually. So anyways, so me and Ace were talking about that. Um, he goes on to ask a couple more questions about souls. Um, does the amount of souls have a limit? Uh, who creates new souls? Uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I could go at length about a lot of this stuff, so I, I can't answer all, all of these questions. Perhaps uh, I'll go through, perhaps I'll do a special episode one day where we do just questions about this kind of stuff. I could dive into some of these questions here, but it does dive into spoilers for the second Pillars game, so I'm actually going to try to uh, stay away from that for a little bit. Ace finishes off his email saying, he usually only listens to podcasts when he travels long distances. So, hey, that's cool. I get it. I also, uh, I drive for a living. So that's the only time I ever listen to podcasts. Uh, and then he talks about how his girlfriend complains a little bit of it. So apparently she is either not a fan of the topic or not a fan of my podcast. But I'll get you on my side. Um, I don't know how, but I'll do it. Uh, perhaps it's just not her thing. Maybe she doesn't understand it. Actually, I've gotten emails from people who have said, that they don't know what an Eora is or that they aren't even aware of what Pillars of Eternity is. is I've actually got a couple of people who have listened to this and they didn't even realize that it was about a video game for a while. So I think I need to make a, a new episode zero that like starts from like a complete blank slate point of view. And then, you know, maybe people like Ace's girlfriend here will be into the lore a little bit more. I don't know. Hey, but hey, like, you know, same thing with podcasts goes with video games. There's only so many hours and minutes in the world. Don't listen to podcasts you don't enjoy. Um, and if mine is one of them, so be it. Um, but anyways, hello to Ace and your girlfriend. I hope you guys are having a good time and traveling long distances and listening to me talk about elves at length. Uh, next email comes from Mariano. Uh, he says, hey man, I've been listening to your podcast on Spotify earlier this year. It came back again to find there are new episodes. I just wanted to say thank you. I truly love the game and Lauren, a chance of knowing more through the channel is great. Thank you, Mariano. I, I Again, I really love hearing stuff like that. And I'm not just saying it because... You sent me an email and I'm talking about it on the show. I genuinely, I like getting stuff like this. Like it, the reason I like making this podcast is because some people are finding value in it. I couldn't care less about me talking into a microphone about nerd stuff. I could do that with just people at work, right? I, I like providing this information for people as they get hyped for a vowed. And uh, it's, it's awesome to see people that are getting things out of it. Uh, he goes on to say that he's planning to run a D&D &D campaign based on Pillars of Eternity's storyline for his players who haven't yet played the game, and that the podcast has proved helpful. So thank you. I'm glad that it has. 
And then he, uh, we talk about some of the in-game books that you can uh, read on. If Actually, if you go to the Pillars of Eternity Wikipedia page, there is a link in there. It'll take you to all of the journals and all of the notes and all of the in-game books uh, that Obsidian writers made for the game's lore. Really cool, and a lot of my source material comes from that. Mariana, reach out to me again, by the way, and let me know how that D&D game goes. Um, I think Pillars of Eternity, I think the Yorin world is a wonderful place to host a tabletop role-playing game. I know Josh Sawyer, the lead designer and game developer for these two games, is developing a tabletop role-playing game in Aora. But again, let me know how your D&D version of it goes, because I'd be so interested in hearing how that goes. Um, or if you want to soundboard ideas for stories or things, uh, let me know. I love helping with that stuff. I'll just do one more email, uh, and it's from Enzo. Thank you, Enzo, for emailing. He says, hello, Eric. Good afternoon, at least from here. Um, his name's Enzo. He's here to thank for the awesome podcast about the world of era. Thank you again. I love this. It's great. This is great. Just everyone just pump up my ego. This is real good. This is why I do it. Right. <laughs> um, really loves the games. It's nice to see someone who likes to talk about them, wants to replay the games two or three more times. Um, and with this information, it's really nice to have help and understand. And thank you for the podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much, Enzo, for taking the time to write an email to just show some appreciation. I, I love that people take time with each other to just like send messages out to people to encourage each other. Cause I mean, we're all out here. Uh, this is where I'm going to get uh, super sensitive and emotional about all that stuff, but it's awesome to have the ability to be able to reach out to people and just encourage them in things that they're doing. Um, and I'm not just talking about me with my podcast. I mean like anybody, you know, like if you see someone out there and they're working hard at something, you can use sounds that come out of this hole in your face to make them feel good about the things they're doing, you know? And it's just, that's cool. Um, in this case, I guess it wasn't sounds coming out of his, his mouth. It was uh, words that he typed on a computer that popped onto my computer. But regardless, thank you, Enzo, for that email. I really like it. Um, there are other emails I've had, but um, me and that person discussed just keeping conversations personal because um, all of these emails, I continue to reply to them. We've all talked and stuff like that. But, you know, sometimes people just want to keep conversations between two people, and I totally respect that, and I get it. Um, so if you want to reach out to me, uh, please do. Uh, and if with your permission, I'll give you a shout out on the podcast after I've amassed a few people who are okay with it. Um, but yeah, so that's all for the shout outs. Thanks everyone for joining today's episode. Thank you so much. I'm loving the podcast. I uh, can't wait to talk to a lot of you. Uh, I'm your host, Eric, aka Gingerino, and I'll see you guys next time. 